Bible reading for this week is Romans 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sencrie. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Antronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Appeals, Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Legan, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogolus, Julia, Nereus, his, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cortus, send you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Christ Jesus, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God, be glory forever, through Christ Jesus. Amen.
Well, sometimes things turn out to be more valuable than you might at first think. A few years ago, the story came out of a man named Lauren Kreitzer. He'd had a rough go in life, got into a bad car crash, had to have his foot amputated, and because of that, couldn't work anymore and was barely getting by on disability payments. But his, his life was really rough. One day, he was sitting there at home watching an Antiques Roadshow, and he saw them examining this old blanket that turned out to be worth about $400,000. It was a Navajo chief blanket from the 1800s, and he thought, man, that blanket looks kind of familiar. He went over to his closet and pulled out this manky old blanket he'd got from his grandma when she died and had just been sitting in his closet for seven years. Uh, this is his one, and he thought, gee, that looks pretty similar to the one from TV. So he, he took it in to get it checked out, and it ended up selling at auction for not $400,000, but $1.5 million US dollars. That's over $2 million in Australian dollars. Not bad for a musty old blanket that his grandma used to let her cat sleep on. So for years he had something that didn't seem like it was worth anything, but on closer inspection it turned out to be extremely valuable. And in some ways, Romans 16 is a little bit like that blanket. It sits there in our Bibles, tucked nicely at the back end of Romans, but often we don't realise how valuable it is. It just seems like a list of names. So usually whenever a church does a sermon series in Romans, they might do Romans 1 to 8, looking at how it richly unpacks the gospel, or they might do a series in Romans 12 to 15 to get real practical about how the gospel shapes our lives. But often those sermon series will leave out chapter 16 altogether. They just don't look at it. They stop at 15. So Romans 16 is a little bit like the ugly duckling. The forgotten middle child. Apologies if you're a middle child. God still loves you. Yeah, Romans 16 is a bit like that musty old blanket in the closet for years. Sitting there because people don't see how valuable it is. So today we're dusting it off. And we're finishing off our series in Romans by looking at chapter 16. And I'm convinced that it has loads to teach us about what it looks like to live for Jesus today. So if you've got a Bible, open it up and we'll have a look at it together. Now the first thing that strikes you when you look at Romans 16 is the long list of names. Greet this person, greet that person. He lists 24 people by name and just in case you miss anyone, he throws a catch-all in verse 16, greet one another. So yes, there's all these names, but we've got to ask the question, why? Why is the, Paul, is the Apostle Paul writing out all these greetings? What's his purpose? Now, there are probably actually more than one. There's probably a bunch of reasons. To build rapport, uh, to build networks among gospel-minded Christians from different geographical regions, to encourage them to support him in his missionary work to Spain, which we looked at last week. But all of those purposes fit within a broader goal for why Paul wrote Romans, which is this. His ultimate goal was to strengthen the Roman Christians in the gospel. To strengthen them in the gospel, and specifically to encourage them to keep believing it and to keep proclaiming it. We can see this hinted at in his closing words in verses 25 to 27, the last words of the letter. Have a look. These are the closing words of Romans. 
says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the nations, the Gentiles, might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So here Paul concludes his letter to the Romans by giving glory to God, the one who is able to strengthen them. He wants them to be strong, established, and firm, not just in a general sense, but to be strong according to the gospel. That is, believing the gospel and holding on to it and proclaiming it. And of course, that raises the question, well, what exactly is this gospel that they need to hold on to? And Paul fleshes it out for us in the next words. He says, the gospel is the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ. That is, the message about Jesus that is already unpacked for them throughout the letter of Romans. And you can sum up that message pretty well using what is sometimes called the Romans Road. Tracing through Romans, a somewhat windy road that shows us the gospel in summary. So, Firstly, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the consequence of that, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, because despite our sin and the death that we deserve because of that, Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. <clears throat> While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so finally, Romans 10.9 if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. Although we've all sinned and rebelled against God and therefore rightly deserve death, God lovingly sent Jesus to die for our sins and be raised to new life, so that if we trust in him, we'll be saved. That's the message he wants them to be strengthened in. Not only to keep believing it, but to keep proclaiming it to others as well. And why? Why to keep proclaiming it? So that people from all the nations of the earth might put their faith in Jesus too. So with that background in mind, it shapes the way we read the list of names here in Romans 16. It's not just a list of names but an address to people who are on mission together for the gospel. On mission to make Jesus known among all nations. So in light of that, let's have a look at Romans 16 together. And as we do, we're going to draw out seven lessons about what it looks like for us to live on mission for Jesus today. It's not quite 1.5 million lessons, but seven is quite a lot for a sermon. So this is going to be a little bit rapid fire. So strap in, seven lessons, here we go, and first up, work together. You see, as you go through the list of the, the people Paul mentions in the church at Rome, notice how many he describes as his fellow workers. Verse 1, he describes Phoebe as a deacon. The word deacon literally just means a servant. She's been serving the church. Verse 3, 
he describes Priscilla and Aquila as co-workers in Christ Jesus, who even risked their lives for the cause of the gospel. Or verse 6, Mary, who worked very hard for them. Verse 9, Urbanus, our co-worker. Notice that language coming up again and again in Christ. Verse 12, Tryphena and Tryphosa, who work hard in the Lord. And Persis, who has worked very hard in the Lord. It's just verse after verse. These were Christians who were working together for the gospel. This wasn't the case of the paid pastor up the front doing the ministry, while everyone else sits on the sidelines. No, the, the people in the church at Rome weren't passive consumers, but active partners in the work of the gospel. It's been said that the church is not a cruise ship, uh, but rather a battleship. And that's probably a good thing because no one wants to be on a cruise ship right now with COVID-19 floating around. Uh, but what's the difference between a cruise ship and a battleship? Well, a, a big difference is that on a battleship, there are no passengers. There are only crew members. There's no one just passively along for the ride who's there to have a good time and gets waited on. No, everyone on a battleship is part of the crew. They're all working together towards a common goal, a common mission. And Romans 16 shows us that that's what the church is like. So it's worth asking, when it comes to CU, or when it comes to church, are you a passenger or a crew member? If Paul was writing a letter about your church, would he describe you as a co-worker? Now, of course, with COVID-19, church has looked pretty different for the last few months. Uh, but think back to your church involvement, say, throughout last year. Did you rock up each Sunday ready to be waited on, to enjoy some good music and maybe a half-decent sermon? Or did you rock up each Sunday ready to serve, to work together in, in a common mission, to encourage others in their faith in Jesus, to look out for the new person and welcome them, uh, to look out for what needs doing, even if you're not rostered on for a particular uh, role that Sunday. And maybe throughout the week to serve in kids' church or the youth group. You see, the way Paul talks about the Christians in Rome, he describes them as fellow workers. Partners in the work of the Lord who are working together to build the church and encourage others and make Jesus known. So that's our first lesson about what it means to live on mission for Jesus. Work together. And secondly, encourage each other. One of the striking things about this list of people in Romans 16 is that Paul is always going out of his way to recognize the good in people and to encourage it, to affirm it. I mean, we've already looked, haven't we, at the many times Paul goes out of his way to affirm those who are working together for the gospel. And on top of that, look at verse 5. He says, Great my dear friend, Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. See, that's exciting. The first Christian ever in a whole province? So he points it out. He reminds people and praises God for the way he'd been at work in Epenetus. Or, or verse 7, he says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. 
They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. See how he encourages them publicly so others can take notice. This isn't just private affirmation either, but, but public affirmation. Or verse 10, great Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Apelles seems to have faced some kind of trial or suffering, but praise God he remained faithful. And so Paul comes out and he wants to affirm and encourage him in that, in front of other people. And this is a great reminder for us as we seek to live on mission for Jesus. Not only do we work together, but we also want to keep encouraging each other. Whenever you see a brother or sister in Christ who has made a costly decision to honour Jesus, or who is working hard in your church or on campus to disciple or encourage others, or when you see someone who has grown in godly character, be on the lookout for that. Notice it. And when you notice it, say something to affirm and encourage them. You know, there are these ads going around about anti-terrorism and security, and they want people to report suspicious activity. So they've got this slogan, if you see something, something suspicious that is, say something. If you see something, say something. And that seems to be Paul's slogan too. If he sees something good in people, he'll say something. He'll take the opportunity to affirm and encourage them. So brothers and sisters, let's make that our slogan too. If you see something, say something. Have you seen, have you seen God at work in a brother or sister in Christ? Then say something. You, you could even shoot them a message right now and say, you know, hey, just want, want to say I've been really encouraged by the way you've been serving Jesus and us through a hectic semester. I know it's been tough or whatever it might be. That's one of the big lessons we can learn from Paul in Romans 16 about living on mission for Jesus, that we encourage each other in the work of the Lord. Okay, so first lesson was work together. Second was encourage one another. And now thirdly, be generous. In Romans 16, we see Paul draw attention to not only those who have been doing the work of the gospel directly, but also to those who have been enabling the work of the gospel through their generosity. Have a look in your Bibles with me at verse 2. Talking about Phoebe, he says, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people, and to give her any help she may need from you, for she's been the benefactor of many people, including me. Now, when Paul says she's been the benefactor, uh, that's a word that means someone who has provided housing and financial aid, and perhaps even legal representation, to those who are in need, especially foreigners. Now, uh, Paul also mentions in verse 1 that Phoebe lived in Cancrea, an important port city near Corinth, where many people, including Paul, would often pass through. So clearly Phoebe had been generous with her home and her finances and her time to support those who were travelling and engaged in the work of the gospel. We see the same idea in verse 5 when it talks about the church that meets in the house of Priscilla and Aquila. You see there were no church buildings back then, so those who had homes big enough would open them up for the work of the gospel. Same idea in verse 23 where Paul talks about Gaius, 
whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy. So a takeaway here is that one way you and I can contribute to the mission of Jesus is to be generous. Now maybe you're thinking, hey, I'm just a penniless uni student. I don't have anything to be generous with. But let me just encourage you, you don't have to wait until you graduate before you can start to establish habits of gospel generosity. If you have a part-time job, why not start supporting your church with something small like five or ten bucks a week? Or more if you'd like. Set up that weekly payment. Be intentional with the small things and you'll begin to establish that habit of generosity so that when you do graduate and Lord willing get a job, then you can increase your giving. Look for even small ways to be generous for the cause of Jesus and see how God might grow that as time goes on. Okay, so uh, work together, encourage, be generous, and fourthly, belong. That is, if you've put your trust in Jesus and are now on mission for him, recognize that you belong to a movement that spans across time and space. That's one of the things that Paul wants to encourage the Romans in. In verse 16, he tells the Romans that all the churches of Christ send their greetings. He's reminding them that they're part of something bigger, a gospel movement. Reminding them of the unity they have with other believers from other churches they haven't even met. A unity grounded in the good news of Jesus and all he's done for us. Paul's already mentioned the church in Cancrea. And in chapter 15, last week, we saw he mentioned the church of Jerusalem and the churches in the province of Macedonia and Achaia and many others. He wants the Romans to know that they're part of that broader gospel movement together. They belong to that. And that's a good reminder for us too. I mean, it's easy to look at Romans 16 as this boring list of names, but but think about this. Every single one of these names represents a real person who followed the same Jesus that we follow today. Behind each name is a story of a real person I mean, think, for example, about verse 13, where Paul mentions Rufus. Now, Rufus might seem just like another name that doesn't mean much to us. But this isn't the only time that Rufus is mentioned in the Bible. Have a look with me at Mark chapter 15, where Mark is describing Jesus about to be crucified. It says, And when they'd mocked him, Jesus, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Now, if you read these verses in Mark on their own, you think, why are you telling us the name of this guy's kids, Alexander and Rufus? I mean, it just seems like an insignificant detail. Why is he bothering to add that? It seems insignificant to us, but... Imagine you are one of the Romans reading Mark's gospel for the first time and Rufus was one of the members of your church, which he was. To know that it was his dad who was physically there, who saw Jesus being led out to be crucified and even carried the cross that Jesus would be killed on. Paul wrote this letter to the Romans in about 57 AD, so it's 
It's about 25 years after Jesus was crucified. So Rufus was all grown up now. But if you knew Rufus, you had a direct connection to an eyewitness of Jesus. In fact, when you play this out generation after generation, think about this. If you are a follower of Jesus today, you are part of an unbroken chain of people that goes all the way back to the very first eyewitnesses of Jesus. You are part of a gospel movement that spans throughout history and across our world, all joined together with the same great goal, to honour Jesus and make him known. So be encouraged. Be part of that movement and play your part in helping that chain to continue to the next generation of those who will follow Jesus. Okay, work together, encourage, be generous, belong. And fifth lesson, care. One of the things you notice as Paul lists off these members of the church is that they didn't just work together, they also loved and cared for each other. Have a look at verse 5. It says, Greet my dear friend Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Now when it says dear friend, that word there is literally beloved. Paul describes him as someone beloved, dear to him. Well, the same word there again in verse 8. It says, Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Or verse 13. It says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. You see, Rufus's mother had obviously cared for Paul in such a deep way that he had came, come to see her as his own mother too. You see, these aren't just robots serving the mission of the gospel with cold efficiency. This is a family serving together who love and care for each other. And in fact, Paul commands this in verse 16. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, giving your mates at church a holy kiss is a bit of a coronavirus no-no at the moment. Uh, but keep in mind that just like it in many European cultures today, um, a kiss back then was part of a greeting that showed a, a warmth and affection. And Paul says that that is what should characterize God's people as we live out the mission Jesus has given to us. Now, in terms of application for us, I don't think this means you should start kissing every Christian you meet uh, because in, in our culture, what it means to show warmth and affection looks a little bit different now. So maybe it's going to be the coronavirus fist bump or elbow bump or something like that. Uh, but whatever the cultural application, the underlying principle is the same. Paul wants us to cultivate real warmth and friendship and care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's the fifth lesson from what Romans 16 on what it looks like to live on mission for Jesus together. Care for each other. Work together. Encourage each other. Be generous. Belong. Care. And sixth, watch out. Paul wants them to watch out for false teachers or others who might harm the work of the true gospel. Have a look in your Bibles with me at verses 17 to 19. He writes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. 
By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. You see, this is a reminder that in our mission to make Jesus known, we will face those who oppose us. Some of them will do so openly, causing divisions and putting up obvious obstacles and false teaching. But others will be much more subtle, harder to spot, and therefore actually more dangerous. They'll use smooth talk and flattery. They'll use the right Christian jargon. They'll seem like really good people. They'll seem legit. But in reality, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're hard to spot, so we need to watch out. Jonathan Edwards lived through some of the great revivals of the 18th century. And while he saw God work in a lot of powerful ways, he also saw a lot of false teaching spring up. In one of his books, he writes, When the Spirit of God is poured out to begin a glorious work, then the old serpent, as fast as possible, and by all means, introduces this bastard religion and mingles it with the true, which has from time to time soon brought all things into confusion. Great and strict, therefore, should be the watch and guard that ministers maintain against such things, especially at a time of great awakening. The devil hides his own shape, shape and appears as an angel of light, he's referencing 2 Corinthians 11.14, that men may not be afraid of him, but adore him. He's referencing that smooth talk and flattery. You see, Edwards was heeding Paul's warning here in Romans 16, and we should too. It doesn't matter how nice someone is, if they're not holding firmly to the Bible's teaching about Jesus, and yet claiming to be a Christian, we should have nothing to do with them. Watch out. Okay, so that's our sixth lesson, watch out. So far we've seen work together, encourage, be generous, belong, care, watch out, and finally, trust. Trust that God himself will bring about the final victory. Have a look in your Bibles with me at Romans 16, verse 20. It says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And this is huge. Because, you know, with all this talk about being on mission for Jesus and seeking to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of all nations, it's a pretty huge task. And if you stop and think about it, it's easy to get overwhelmed or discouraged. I mean, there are literally thousands just at UWA who don't know Jesus. Millions in our country who still don't bend the knee to the king of the universe. Billions in our world who are still living in rebellion against the God who made them. The enormity of the task is hard to fathom. But because of the gospel, we don't labour anxiously, uncertain of the outcome, unsure of whether Team Jesus is going to come out on top in the end. No, we labour confidently, trusting with certainty that the victory has already been won. Because you see, through his death and resurrection, Jesus has conquered sin and death. 
And on the day he returns, that victory will be sealed. On that day, God will crush Satan under our feet and Jesus' victory will be plain for all to see. So, we trust. Yes, we work hard and strive for the energy God works in us by his Holy Spirit, but we do so in confident trust of the final victory. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. So, brothers and sisters, hang in there. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Keep trusting in Jesus and keep seeking to make him known, even in these uncertain times that we're now living in, because we know that the victory belongs to God through Jesus Christ. Now, that was a little bit of a whirlwind, and I wish we had time to dig deeper into Romans 16. But I hope that together we've begun to see that maybe Romans 16 isn't just a boring list of names after all. What does it have to teach us about living on mission for Jesus today? Well, it encourages us to work together. To encourage and affirm the ways we see God at work in each other. To be generous in our time and money for the cause of the gospel. To belong to the movement of Christians across time and space seeking to make Jesus known. To care for one another with warmth and affection. To watch out for false teachers and guard the true gospel. And to do all this trusting in the final victory of God through Jesus. So, to him who is able to strengthen you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the nations might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen.